Hi, everyone. Welcome to Chiropractical, brought to you by the Miles Away Business Credit Card. My name is Chick Herbert, and I am one of your co-hosts. Thank you for your tremendous response and support of our prior episodes. Chiropractical is a podcast about chiropractors for chiropractors. At NCMIC, our motto is we take care of our own, and this is just one more way that we demonstrate that. Hi, everyone. This is Melissa Knudsen, also a co-host on Chiropractical. And through these episodes, we will bring you specific and actionable information you can apply to your practice. On today's episode, we'll be talking to an attorney about employee issues related to COVID-19. We'll also talk to some NCMIC team members about the payment protection plan, and we'll find out Do you really need professional liability insurance if you have general liability insurance? So with that, let's get started. 2020 was a year that found us all having to continuously learn, pivot, and adapt to ever-changing information and situations. That was true from both a personal and professional perspective. And for many of us, those two worlds became even more intertwined than before. Early indications in 2021 would lead us to believe that this trend is going to continue, at least for the near term. Staying current on COVID relief packages, implementing workplace safety guidelines, navigating staffing and personnel issues can be challenging. Those changes will likely be amplified and accelerated as at the time of this recording, we're on the eve of a new administration and changes in the House and Senate not to mention the continued distribution of the COVID vaccine. All of this makes me very excited to introduce our next guest, Ben Roach. Ben is an attorney with the Nymaster Good Firm, and his specific practice focuses on labor and employment law. With this, he brings a wealth of knowledge and practical experience navigating employee situations that involve human conflict. And unfortunately, that seems to continue in today's world. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to have you here. We're really excited to have you share your knowledge and insight with our listeners, many of whom are small business owners. And I know you have that in your portfolio of clients. What is top of mind to the clients that you're talking to today? I think one of the big issues, and you mentioned it briefly in the opening, is keeping an eye on uh, what's going to happen legislatively both the federal and state level, you know, there's a lot of talk about additional stimulus packages and that those may come with some sort of additional employment laws or leave benefits, things like that. In 2020, for the first time, a lot of businesses had to deal with paid leave requirements under the Family First Coronavirus Response Act that was passed back in March. That did expire at the end of 2020, There's a short voluntary extension right now where employers can provide the benefits through the end of March of 2021. There's a lot of talk that with the new administration, you know, that law could be either extended or extended and changed. So that's definitely something to to keep a close eye on. You don't have a crystal ball and we're not holding you accountable to anything, but any idea on the timing of that? I think we'll see that fairly early, probably sometime towards the end of the first quarter. I would think maybe late February, March, sometime in that time frame, once the new administration and the new uh, majorities in the chambers kind of get their feet under themselves and are able to pull together a package. Because some of these employment provisions may not be the unanimous support that maybe the stimulus checks get. 
what are the potential implications of those changes in the next relief bill? I think it'll look similar to what we had in 2020, where there will be paid leave benefits mandated for almost all employers, for employees who have to miss time you know, due to either you know, a COVID diagnosis themselves, uh, a quarantine order because of a, a COVID diagnosis, or kids being home because their schools are closed related to COVID. I, I think it's going to look similar to that and is going to have a, a COVID tie you know, at least through you know, probably the first half of the year. With those, I'm not a specialist in this area, so it may be a foolish question, but if I'm an employer, that's not hurting me from an unemployment insurance perspective with the last COVID relief package. Is that correct? Correct. So there's two pieces of that. The paid leave that was mandated under the FFCRA came with a corresponding tax credit. So if you had to pay those leave benefits out, you were getting a, a tax credit related to those benefits. If an employee has to miss time due to a COVID-related reason, similar to, to the paid leave, when either the paid leave wasn't applicable or they'd excused it, in almost all states, unemployment benefits were expanded to cover those situations. And in most of the states, they weren't counting that against the employer. I mean, you, you'll want to check for your specific state. But for example, Iowa, that has not had any detriment to the employer's unemployment account for benefits paid for a COVID-related reason. Got it. Thank you. That helps. And with the vaccine, there's a lot of talk. The distribution has begun. There's a long ways to go. But what are some of the concerns or not even the concerns, but the dialogue as it relates to the vaccine in the workplace? The big question here is, can I require my employees to get the vaccine as a condition of you know, keeping their job, as a condition of hiring a new employee, or in some cases as a condition of coming back to work physically in the office versus at home? And generally, the guidance we're getting is the answer to that question is yes, I, I think you can require that. But you have to make sure that you provide for medical accommodations or religious accommodations if, if somebody has a sincerely held religious belief. That generally arises under the federal and state civil rights laws. The medical accommodation is required under the disability discrimination laws. The religious accommodation is, is required under the corresponding civil rights laws. So that's the general practice. That's what you'll see you know, if you do any of your own research out there. The only caveat to give to that is if you're a really small employer, the federal law probably won't apply. The threshold there is you have to have 15 employees, but you've also got to pay attention to state laws. Several states have different triggers for how many employees are required to have those civil rights laws apply. If you're really small, which is one or two employees, and you're in the right state, you may not technically have those exemption requirements. Whether courts will still imply that type of protection through some other basis, it's possible. The safest course of action is probably to still follow uh, those general guidelines out there. For some folks, I would assume they may not have an attorney on speed dial. And this gets into a lot of labor laws. Is there a way to stay current? And where do you go to look for this information on both the state and federal level? I would start with the, the U.S. Department of Labor. They've got a COVID-19 page. You can link right to it through their homepage. I think it's dol.gov. They have a lot of information about the federal leave laws, pay laws. The pay laws are going to apply to pretty much everyone. 
the leave laws last year applied to pretty much everyone. There wasn't a minimum size requirement. In terms of the discrimination laws on the federal level, it's the EEOC, which is eeoc.gov. On a state level, there's usually a number of places you can go to your state civil rights commission or human rights commission, some states call them. They will most likely have a COVID page that'll get you to those resources. The workforce development or unemployment division will, will have links to those resources. Those are a great place to start because they're generally designed not to be used by lawyers and have FAQs that have common questions and answers and resources that should provide some benefit. That's very helpful. You said the federal laws would pertain if there are 15 or more employees. So 15 or less employees, then there's a little discretion. 14 or less federal laws wouldn't apply, but all states have some sort of civil rights act that generally mirrors the federal law. Sometimes they offer even more protection and they have varying trigger level. That's where you need to pay attention in your state because a lot of times they're lower, five employees, three employees. I mean, some states it's one employee. If you have an employee other than the owner, they might be protected. State legislatures are getting back together now and will be moving forward on some of those state-specific protections? Again, that's going to vary by state, but I, I think we'll definitely see, especially in some of the more active states historically for employee protections, generally on the coast, I, I think they're more likely to be passing additional protections for employees than the Midwest and the South, but something to keep an eye on. Ben, back to the vaccine question. How about as it pertains to patients? When I think about the vaccine, once we get into this next phase where it's becoming more available to the population, if someone is refusing the vaccine, the situations that our listeners could find themselves in both as an employer as well as a provider. You have to make a consistent policy choice at that point and, and make sure you're treating everyone the same, whether it's employees or patients. But again, making sure you are providing for legitimate medical and religious exemptions, because as a care provider, you may still be subject to some of the public accommodation provisions of the disability laws in that healthcare provider patient relationship. There may still be some rules and protections that apply. So I think you need to be careful about any sort of uneven application of the requirements or a uniform requirement that I'm only going to treat patients who have been vaccinated, even if someone has a legitimate reason, medical or religious, not to. So I think those are things to keep in mind. In terms of concerns about employees, if everyone's not vaccinated, then what happens? The employee who wants the vaccination and wants everyone to be vaccinated, how do we deal with that situation? From a practical standpoint, I consider that employee theoretically is protected now. If, if they got the vaccine, it really shouldn't be impacting them if another employee, for example, isn't vaccinated. I, I don't know that they have a, a lot of ground to, to complain, but if they do, that's where you can look at some other measures in, in terms of you know things that have become more prevalent over the last year, other mitigation efforts, distancing, trying to find ways so they're not in close contact, changing where in the office space people are working, changing procedures so they don't have to come into personal contact. Those kind of things may continue for a while if you have part of your office vaccinated, part not, and and there are people concerned about the other group. 
the vast majority of our listeners would be in a practice, not exclusively, but that's the big part of our audience. They've been navigating these waters. They haven't had a choice of staff not coming to work because they're still seeing patients. Unlike, in my case, coming to an office every day where we're still, for the most part, working remote and we don't have that many people in. So I think in that regard, it may be a little less treacherous to navigate from an employer perspective in the practices. I would agree. I I think a lot of things you're going to read out there about employment issues this year are going to be the the reintegration of people who have been working home for nine or more months back into the the in-person physical workspace. This group may get a little bit of a pass on dealing with some of those difficulties and that assimilation process, getting folks back in person. Unlike people on my team who may not be bathing or dressing or combing their hair during this time, I'd like to think that's not the case with our doctors. Ben, is there anything else in terms of big subjects or topics that are relevant that we haven't addressed? I I think the big thing, it's the same issues we've been dealing with. If people aren't able to come into work, it's making sure you're, you're treating the situations consistently making sure that if there is some obligation to give people time off that you know we're complying with those obligations and then making sure people are being paid correctly if if they're in and out of the office if someone you've decided is a salaried employee you're not keeping track of their hours you're not paying them by the hour if they're in and out during the week you've still got to pay them their salary for that week you, you don't get to reduce their salary just because they work less hours as things have become more fluid and more flexible, it's just keeping track of those nuts and bolts because those are, are really the two issues where I think employers face the most risk and, and the most chance for non-compliance you know, in, in the current setting. The SBA just announced the next Paycheck Protection Program wave. That should provide some relief for those that need that relief and submit applications to the SBA. I suppose it's not technically an employment law issue, but right. making sure you are complying with your employee retention requirements to, to get that maximum forgiveness and, and knowing that now you're into a new period of limits on what you can do to reduce staff and payroll to maintain forgiveness and, and keeping those records to, to make sure you get that maximum forgiveness benefit. And again, things will likely be shifting. The significance is to be determined, but it sounds like the best offense is to continuously visit the sites that you recommended, both at the state and federal level to stay current on all that information, as well as in the news, obviously. I think that's right. Hopefully it won't be changing a couple of times a week like it was back in March and April of of 2020, and and things will be a little more slow and, and we're on the steady movement towards getting back to normal in which case any changes hopefully are are lessening the number of restrictions and regulations you've got to follow and more getting back to uh, normal life and, and employment life as we know it. Which we're all looking forward to. Well, Ben, thank you very much. Really appreciate your insight and thank you for the time. Nope, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is Mike Whitmer with NCMIC. Each episode of Chiropractical, we are taking your questions. Many doctors have questions about practice, risk management, and other issues you face in everyday practice. We're calling this segment, Ask NCMIC. 
Last year, the Paycheck Protection Program was a valuable tool for small businesses and chiropractic practices to help weather the COVID storm. To answer questions about PPP loans, we have with us Tony Dickinson, president of NCMIC Finance Company. Tony, what's available now to doctors in 2021? Thanks, Mike. Uh, we're glad to see that the SBA has opened up another round of PPP. They appropriated another $284 billion to this program to help small businesses across America, which is really the essence of our doctors and chiropractors out there. The program is designed to help you protect your payroll, keep the employees that you have on staff. And we know that many of you are sole proprietors and have maybe one or two people in your office this program is perfect for you. It's two and a half times your monthly payroll. Last time our average doctor's office had somewhere between fifteen dollars and $30,000 in paycheck protection program loans. Certainly we would encourage any chiropractor that meets the requirements to consider it and apply. People want to know what the requirements are. There's three things to think about. If I had a PPP loan in round one, would I be eligible for round two? The answer is yes, if you meet the, all the requirements. Do I have to have my first loan forgiven? It's not required, but it's advised to at least have submitted your forgiveness paperwork. I would encourage people to do that first. And then you have to have no more than 300 employees. I think that pretty much covers all of our chiropractors. The real key is you have to show a 25% reduction in gross receipts any quarter in 2020 versus 2019 or for the entire year quarter two as the quarter where most doctors probably were hit the hardest when most of the country was shut down. It's still two and a half times payroll for chiropractors. If your original PPP loan was $16,000, likely that your PPP loan this time around will be for $16,000. The only other thing that's a little bit more liberal is the percentage of the funds that needed to be used towards payroll. This time, it's only 60% have to be applied towards payroll expense. The remaining 40% can be applied towards mortgage interest, rent, any other interest payments. One nice thing about round two, they've expanded the definition of expenses that are covered, and they've included PPE, personal protective equipment. Many offices have had to go to great lengths to make their offices more COVID friendly and safer. There's a lot of expense that comes along with that. This time around, expenditures for PPE are covered. Tony, how do businesses and chiropractic practices get their PPP loans forgiven? It's a great question and one that we get often. I'd recommend that you go to your lender from the first time around and there is a one-page forgiveness application that they can help you complete and fill out. PPP was designed to be able to keep your employees on payroll. A lot of doctors we know are sole proprietors and they might only have one, one or two people in their office. Did they retain those employees? Then did they use those dollars towards payroll expenses, towards mortgage or interest, rent, and uh, utilities. If they did, and they can attest to that, then their forgiveness is usually a, a one-page application. It's very slick and easy um, to get forgiven. From our first time around, about 80% of our doctors have now gotten their first round loans fully forgiven. With the round two of the PPP loans, are there deadlines that our doctors need to be aware of? 
Congress had approved $284 billion to this program. That's a lot of money, but last time around, uh, $300 billion ran out. We're working towards a March 31st deadline right now with the assumption that the $284 billion will last, but there is a chance that all of that money could be exhausted. So it's one of those two, March 31st or $284 billion. If our listeners have questions about the PPP loans, how can they get answers? We would love to help them out. We've set up an inbox for questions that our doctors may have, and that inbox is round2 at ncmic.com. That's round to the number two at ncmic.com. We're an approved lender. We've helped hundreds of doctors out there and we've probably answered thousands of questions. Our team is uh, waiting, ready, and prepared to answer the questions that our doctors have and would love to help them with their PPP needs. Thank you, Tony, for joining us and answering our questions about the PPP lending program. Thanks for having me, Mike. Great to be with you. We get a lot of questions at NCMIC about a variety of insurance coverages doctors need for their practices. Today's question is about general liability. We've asked Abigail M. with NCMIC Insurance Services to help us out. Abigail, what does a general liability policy cover that a malpractice insurance policy doesn't? Excellent question, Mike. So liability is something that is protecting you against lawsuits that may arise from somebody getting injured on the premise, which may not have anything to do with malpractice. For example, if someone was to fall off of the adjusting table after getting done with an adjustment and break their wrist, they would bring that lawsuit to you and it may not have anything to do with negligent acts. That's where your general liability comes in. It's imperative to have that coverage to make sure that your business is protected as a whole. Another important part of the policy is personal and advertising injury. Let's say that you're advertising for your business and someone claims that you were falsely advertising. There's some protection in your general liability policy that's going to help to protect you from that. That's a vital piece of the policy that a lot of doctors may not think about. Another portion of the policy would be product liability. So say that you are prescribing some vitamin D or some supplements in your office and someone has a bad reaction to that, they could bring that lawsuit up against your business. That's another important piece to help protect your business. And lastly, fire damage. Let's say that you are subleasing a space and you leave a coffee pot on and that building burns down. Guess who's going to be responsible for those damages? If you left the coffee pot on, chances are it's you. That's why it's important to have that general liability policy to help protect your business as a whole. Do you have a question you would like us to address on chiropractical? Send us your questions to askncmic at ncmic.com. That's askncmic at ncmic.com. Well, Melissa, another episode filled with valuable information and insight. Enjoyed hearing from Ben and understanding this next wave of the COVID relief package and things that you need to be aware of and where to stay current with that information. Also appreciated hearing from Tony about the PPP in this next wave. Even if you were fortunate to take advantage of the first round of PPP, you are still eligible and able to take advantage of this current round at the time of the recording. It was good to hear from Abigail about the differences and the importance of both general liability insurance or business insurance, and professional liability or malpractice insurance. 
a lot of really great things on this episode. And one way for me to summarize all of it is just that in 2021, the only thing certain is that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. Because of that, I really want to encourage our listeners to stay up to date on their state and federal legislative action as it relates to COVID-19. Places where they can do that is dol.gov, which is the Department of Labor website. They can also check out the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission at eeoc.gov. Of course, federal and state websites may have a lot of really great information as well. You should also lean on your state and national chiropractic associations during this time. They've been working hard to put together content for you. So they're a really great resource. Thanks for sharing those websites again, Melissa. Just a reminder, many of you have less than 15 employees. And if that's the case, it can come down to state legislation versus federal. So make sure to check out your state and make sure you're adhering to all of the latest guidelines and laws. A big shout out to the Miles Away credit card for sponsoring this podcast. Listeners may think that the Miles Away credit card is really about travel miles. Although it is travel miles, it's a lot more than that. We've really set up a whole suite of options at NCMIC for your credit card needs. And you can choose, do you want their credit card with the lowest APR or do you want to earn more points? Those points can go towards all sorts of rewards, not just travel go to our website and check out that information. You can see that at ncmic.com forward slash right for you. You're going to take a fun little quiz and it'll lead you in the right direction of what might be the best credit card for you at this time. You can see the show notes and those can be found at ncmic.com forward slash chiropractical. So check that out. And in the past, we have asked for you to please take time to review and rate the podcast. And that may sound self-serving, but those reviews are very meaningful because it will allow us to reach more people as they go out and search for podcasts. So please, if you are so inclined, we would love to have you do a review in addition to providing a rating from the star perspective. So with that, we look forward to talking to you again next month. And in the meantime... Take care and stay well.